0: and thanks for tuning in at Northgate we're passionate about helping people become who God purposed them to be we hope that this message encourages and blesses you today stay tuned after for more ways to connect
1: Good morning. Happy New Year. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Happy New Year. Hey, all right, all right. You're awake. (laughs) Welcome to Northgate uh, 2019. My name is Steve Perkins, one of the pastors. If you are new with us, welcome. I'd love to meet you after the service outside those doors to my right. You're left. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. we certainly did. Here at Northgate. Uh, over 2,000 people walked through our doors on Christmas Eve. over those three days, almost 60 people, indicated they put their trust in Christ for the first time. And if that's you, um, welcome. Congratulations. Uh, what an honor. Um, to walk alongside you. And that's what we want to do. We want to walk alongside you as you grow in that relationship with Christ. Putting your trust in Christ is just the first step. We continue to put our trust in Christ. So talk to me. Talk to one of our pastors after the service. Uh, Our prayer team would love to help you grow. Also, the new year is starting out well. We finished uh, 2018 financially in the black, and I thank you for your generosity. I have one more in house announcement uh, to make today, and I'm excited to make it. Uh, Terry Kearns, our intern pastor, is joining our team in a greater capacity and being commissioned today as an associate pastor here at Northgate. Terry will serve 30 hours a week while he finishes seminary and graduate school and will start full-time this summer after graduation. Now, I've known Terry and Tiffany for a very long time. We go way back. And words cannot adequately express (laughs) the change I have seen in them over the years. When we first met, to be honest, I did not imagine this day coming. But God did, and I soon caught up. (laughs) Terry and Tiffany have become, over time, Two of the most godly, loving servant leaders I have ever met, hands down. And so I'm very excited to have him join our team in a greater capacity. Terry started officially on January 1st. He is working with small group development and assimilation. And like me, he wants to help every single person in this church start rubbing elbows with other Christ followers, whatever that may look like for you. In fact, next weekend, all weekend at all of our services, we'll have an event here at the church called Group Link, following each service. And that's a place where you can learn about groups and sign up for a group. I would encourage you, sign up in some way to be a part of some kind of activity here in the church where you meet other people in this church. I'm a part of three small groups myself, okay? Three And I do that because I find great value. And uh, it helps me become the person God purposed me to be. So Terry and Tiffany, come on up. Let me invite our pastors and our board of directors. I think most of them are here this morning. By the way, um, just some fun facts uh, about uh, Terry and Tiffany. His sister was just singing up here earlier in the service. His mom, Dee, is that really friendly lady at the front door. Who hugs you uh, every morning he's raised he has they have three children and he's, he's uh, raised two daughters in this church raising his son one of his daughters married a son of this church um, the son of the church is related to will and Tracy who lead our worship so <laughs> like, like uh, you know, I get I get to be the founding pastor of this church, but you have more ties to this church than I will ever have, <laughs> by by a long shot. So Terry, you have been appointed by our board of directors as a pastor here at Northgate. Jesus said, "You know that the rulers of the people lorded over the people, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant." Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Terry, may Almighty God, who has entrusted you as a pastor, enable you to fulfill by his help what you have already begun by his favor. Let's extend a hand as if we're laying hands on Terry and Tiffany, and let's pray for them both. Lord, the giver of every good and perfect gift, we bless you from the bottom of our hearts for Terry and for Tiffany. What a gift. Strengthen, Terry, with your spirit that he may preach your word in season and out. Strengthen them both, fill them both, build them both, forgive them both, lead them both. Commission them. We commission them now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Terry, receive God's blessing, Tiffany, you too. And now, unto him who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be all glory, majesty, power, and authority, through Jesus Christ our Lord, now and forever. Amen. Jesus loves you and we love you. And I present to you Pastor Terry Kearns. Thank you. Thank, you, Thank, you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. I'm kind of mellow today, and so my excitement isn't showing. I am so excited. And so grateful to the Lord that Terry is joining our team. And if you don't know him, get to know him. Uh, You will feel the same way I do. Now, we are beginning a series today. We are calling it Picture Perfect. And we're going to be talking about marriage. And we're going to be looking at some biblical examples, four weeks of marriage, which you will see. These biblical examples are anything but perfect marriages. Far from it. Whenever I preach on marriage, those who are single, widowed, or divorced divorced, uh, may be tempted to check out. Don't. Don't check out. As I've told you before, whenever we hit this subject, either you yourself may be married one day, even if you don't think you're going to be married one day. I've seen that happen many, many times over the course of my career. Or, if that doesn't happen, you will be called upon from time to time to give advice to married friends and family. In either situation, you will need what we're talking about today. What I'm trying to say is that we can all learn from this series and this teaching, including me. So the other day I was Googling. I do that when I'm in a bind, preparing. And I found an article from the publication Psychology Today. You know, some light reading. (laughs) And uh, the title of the article, the the entry, really caught my attention. It's titled, Active wives and passive husbands. Quote, When one partner is very active and the other is passive, relationship strife may ensue. And while this is not a gender-specific dynamic, the author writes, I have found that active partners tend to be women and passive partners tend to be men. So the active partner, a.k.a. the wife, may appear more animated and energized. She oftentimes has numerous interests beyond her career and domestic responsibilities. She may ski, be a member of several clubs, and enjoy having people around her. Whereas on the flip side of the coin, it's not unusual for the passive partner or the husband to complain that people are in his home 24-7. And while he may work extremely hard during the week, he prefers to come home afterwards, grab dinner, and watch some TV before bed. Now, this dynamic, the author writes, isn't as toxic when the differences are played out during the work week, but many wives complain that their male counterparts appear to be paralyzed even on the weekends. Active wives tend to be charismatic, take charge people, actors, not reactors. Passive husbands tend to be quiet and somewhat comfortable with inactivity. Here's where it gets very real. Active wives tend to mother their husbands. Their mission in life becomes to train or mold their husbands into better men, whereas passive husbands oftentimes increasingly relinquish their roles and responsibilities, and while they may not like being told what to do, they like being taken care of. It's from psychology, psychology, today. It rings true, doesn't it? A little too true. The active wife, what we might sometimes call the controlling wife, and the passive husband. So, ladies, let's start with you. I'm not looking for trouble. I'll start there. (laughs) I'm harder on the guys. You know I am. I am always harder on the guys, and I will be. But I want to ask as we begin, Are you the active partner in your relationship in the clinical sense of the word? I'll ask it this way. Do you like being in control? Now, some of you are thinking, and please give me the benefit of the doubt in this message, all of you, some of you are thinking, of course I'm in control. I have to be. If I'm not, who else will be? (laughs) Maybe there's what we might call a leadership vacuum at home, created in part, by a passive husband. Ladies, do you like being in control? Maybe, maybe not. Guys, you're next. Let me ask, are you a passive husband? Be honest with yourself. Passive doesn't necessarily mean lazy, okay? Maybe, for example, you kill it at work day after day, but when it comes to things at home, family life, and things that really matter, Do you lead or do you simply follow? Sort of the yes dear approach to marriage. Guys, are you a passive husband? Now, don't blame yourselves, wives or husbands, for this behavior. Active wives, passive husbands, that kind of behavior is what's modeled for us in society. It runs rampant in society. It's a cultural phenomenon, really. Let's turn on your TV any given night. A few examples, Homer and Marge Simpson. <laughs> Homer's an idiot. Marge is a nag. Passive and active. What about this one? Ray and Deborah Barone from Everybody Loves Raymond. Ray is a child. Deborah's is a witch. I'm dating myself many, maybe by these shows. How about this one? This show's still on. How about Phil and Claire Dumphy from <laughs> Modern Family? Phil's a simpleton. Claire, while she's controlling. That's 21st century marriage, a marriage where the wife is active and the husband is passive. And while it seems to me just about everybody does it that way, That's the world's idea of marriage. Christ followers don't have to do it that way. And anyone who has a marriage like that, while it makes for great TV, can tell you that's no way to live. The world's idea of marriage doesn't lead to a picture-perfect marriage. Throughout history, there have been many poorly-suited couples, Julius Caesar and Cleopatra, Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, Bonnie and Clyde, yes, even Brad and Angelina. But none like the marriage we'll look at today. Hands down, the worst marriage in all of Scripture, and that's saying a lot because most marriages in Scripture are pretty darn bad when you get down to it. In fact, my guess is most of us will leave here this morning feeling better about our marriages than worse after hearing about this one. I'm talking about Ahab the passive husband, and Jezebel, the active wife. Ahab was the seventh king of Israel, the northern half. His reign was a long one for that time, two decades, 875 to 855 B.C., long before Jesus. And while Ahab was an active leader militarily, Politically, like I said, he was a passive leader at home, very passive, spiritually passive. Under Ahab's watch, the people of Israel turned away from the one true God to worship other gods, inferior gods, and his inspiration along the way, his muse, was a woman named Jezebel, his wife. Frankie Lane, in 1956, recorded a hit song in tribute to her. If ever the devil was born without a pair of horns, it was you, Jezebel. It was you. And Ahab, her husband, was no better, really. She was active, he was passive, but they were both evil. 1 Kings 21, there was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols. So Ahab was an evil king, no doubt about it. But Jezebel, whose name means, where is Baal? Baal being one of those inferior gods. Jezebel didn't help matters. She hurt him. She urged him on. She urged Ahab to do evil. On a side note, on a side note, for those who are single and yet to be married, and hope to be married one day, told you there would be something here, learn from this story. I'm going to start sharing this story in my counseling sessions with people before they get married. Learn it the easy way, not the hard way. It matters. A lot of people, it seems to me, get married because they're afraid no one better will come along. That's why Tiffany married Terry. And it worked out for them. But I had a couple of college girlfriends like that. Well, well, we, we, we don't really like each other. That, I mean, I find you attractive. You're an attractive person. But that's kind of it. And when you get down beneath the certain I mean, it's a lot of work being in a relationship with you, frankly. But, but here's what if no one else comes along? Can I cannot tell you how many young people have asked that question to me? Because they don't want to be alone. And they're afraid they're going to be alone. But that's the wrong way to think. What if no one else comes along? That's the wrong question. Here's the right question every person should ask when dating. Does the person I'm dating lead me closer to Christ? Or farther from Christ? Because in Ahab's case, Jezebel led him farther, much farther from God, and Ahab paid a heavy price as a result. And that's just a side note for those who are single. I'm not addressing those who are married when I make those comments. If you're married, the question isn't, does this person lead me closer to Christ? That's an irrelevant question. No, the question is, how can I help this person get closer to Christ? Well, back to Ahab and Jezebel, our theme for the day. In one particular story, we see this active, passive dynamic really play out. Ahab has a neighbor named Naboth. And Naboth is the kind of neighbor you want to have. Beautiful lawn, nice landscaping. I have a neighbor like that too. His name is Chris, meticulous yard. I have other neighbors too. (laughs) Not as meticulous, if you know what I mean. Naboth is a good neighbor. His vineyard is especially lovely, and Ahab likes his yard so much that that he wants it for himself. He wants his neighbor's yard. He can't just enjoy the view. He has to have the view, own the view, give it to me, Ahab says, and I'll trade you some of my property for yours. I'll even pay you the difference if, if you'd like. Just name the price. The only problem, Naboth, his neighbor, doesn't want to sell. The property isn't for sale. The property's been in his family for generations. God gave it to his family. It's priceless, and he won't budge. Well, this is bad news. This is unusual news for the king. He doesn't take it well. Ahab is, used to, is not used to people saying, no, he says jump, and they say how high. Not this time. This time is different. Naboth, the neighbor, can't be bought. He's a man of character, so it appears. So what does Ahab do? He goes passive on him. The king goes passive. He doesn't argue. He doesn't fight. He has to make a counteroffer, which is obvious if somebody tells you no. No. He just takes his ball and goes home. He lays on his bed sulking. He throws himself down, and he refuses to eat. Well, Jezebel, Ahab's wife, the active partner, the controlling partner, gets wind of this. Why are you so sullen? She asks. Why won't you eat? And then she she kicks him while he's down. She belittles him. Is this how you act as king over Israel? Bawk, 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 bawk. You "You big crybaby. Get up and eat, she says. Cheer up. I'll get the vineyard. I'll do it. Since you obviously can't. So there you have it. Ahab, the passive husband. Jezebel, the active wife. Yes, the controlling wife. Now, Ahab very clearly is not the man God purposed him to be. Not at all. He worships idols, false gods. He gives up too easily. He's prone to discouragement. But on the other hand, Jezebel isn't the woman God wants her to be either. Instead of making Ahab stronger in his weakness, what does she do? She weakens him all the more while he's weak. Not only by belittling him, that's obvious, but by doing the thing he's supposed to do. By doing the job he's supposed to perform. She's robbing him of his role. She's robbing him of his responsibility. He's the king. Men hold the property rights at that point in history. He should negotiate for the land, not her, and he certainly should not negotiate in the way she does. Ladies, here's my point. A godly man, godly woman, rather, will help a weak man become stronger. But a controlling woman woman will just do things herself because it's easier. And ladies, hear me out. I know why some of you do things yourselves. It's not always because you want to do them. Like I said, there's a leadership vacuum at home. Many times you do the things you do because you have to do the things you do because you have a passive husband. But it seems to me in our culture, we have this idea that if we nag people long enough and if we belittle people hard enough, they'll change and they will become the people we want them to be. But I've got to tell you, in my 15 plus years of pastoring, I have never seen a person, man or woman, change in response to a complaining partner. Never. And hear me out. A lot of times the complaints are dead on, and they are true, but as the expression goes, you catch more flies with honey. Ladies, raising a husband is not the same as raising a child. It's harder. <laughs> Actually, it's not raising at all. You're not raising your husband, and even if you were raising him the same way you would raise a child, you'd be doing it wrong. Anyone who knows anything about parenting will tell you if you belittle your kid And if you do everything for your kid, your kid won't end up doing anything for himself. He won't become the person God has purposed him to be. The same applies to husbands. Ladies, if you constantly criticize your husband, even if it's true, even if it's true, And in doing so, if you step into your husband's God-given role, if he's a passive leader, which too many husbands are very passive these days, my guess is he will let you take on that role almost every single time, which means he will end up surrendering God's call on his life to you. And that's not fair because you already have a call of your own. You already have enough to manage and handle. You don't need your husband's call, too. My wife, she was here last night. I've told you, she's amazing. People say, quit talking about it. She's so amazing. She is. And she is very good at this. She lets me play my part. She cheers me on when I do. Well, well you say, that's because you're a good husband. Not necessarily. I'm sometimes a good husband. Sometimes I'm a pretty rotten husband. I have my good days, I have my bad days. You can just ask her, she'll tell you. Actually, she won't tell you. She won't. Even when I said it last night and she was sitting right over there, she shook her head no. She won't tell you. Because she never, ever tears me down in front of people. Never. Publicly or privately. She builds me up. But a lot of wives, you know, that's not the script. A lot of wives don't do that. Again, I'm, I'm getting to husbands in a minute. I'll be harder on the husbands. But a lot of wives, and it's become culturally cool to do this, a lot of wives belittle their husbands publicly and privately. And they take over everything in the marriage, not just some of the things, but everything. Well, that's because he doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Okay, I get it, but pray about it. Let's learn from this, okay? You're not his mom. You're his wife. You're his lover. Your job as a wife isn't to shape your husband's character. It's to encourage his character. And there's a big difference between the two. There's a big difference between shaping like you would shape a child's character and encouraging. Now, guys, it's your turn. The reason why Jezebel in this story takes control is not only because she's controlling, which she is, but because her husband is so darn passive. Ahab, even though he's a great leader on the battlefield at home, he is nothing more than a wuss. And a lot of guys these days, I hate to say it, are pretty darn wussy. Again, that's not who God purposed any one of us to be. Look at the biblical model. My next point, godly husbands, active husbands, provide, protect, and pastor. Guys are providers. It's, it's, it's in our DNA. That doesn't mean that dad can't stay at home while mom goes to work. We're, we're not going down that road. That's not what I'm talking about here. There are lots of ways to provide, I'm sure. What it means is that dad or husband does the lion's share of the work, and if he chooses to stay home, he's going to be wake, working way harder than he probably will nine to five. A godly husband provides... A godly husband protects. He guards his wife's character, her, her emotions, her heart, whereas a passive husband just sits there and watches things happen to her, watches life happen. And that's not what she needs. She needs confidence. She needs broad shoulders, that sense, as long as you're here with me, everything's going to be all right. A godly husband protects. Thirdly, most importantly, a godly husband pastors. He leads his family spiritually. Whereas a passive husband just follows. And at the risk of sounding too patriarchal, as if I haven't already, guys, I still think it is your job, as I read the Bible, it is still your job to lead your families spiritually. It's your job. For example, guys, it's your job to decide where your family is going to church in consultation with your wife, yes, but it's your job as a spiritual leader, but that's not what happens, is it? I can't tell you how many guys have said to me over the years, well, I just go where she tells me to go. Wow. It's wussy. Guys, it's your job to decide when your family is going to pray and how your family is going to pray. Yes, your wife will offer leadership there too. My wife offers. She's an incredible leader. We can't dance together because she likes to lead. (laughs) But in my experience in our house, I have to drive it. I'm the one who says, let's go. Let's do it. Let's follow the Lord. And she's happy to go with me. Guys, it's your responsibility to teach your children about God and to make sure they get to do north, our youth ministry, and get to connection, our, our kids' ministry. I wish some of the kids in our church here at Northgate could drive themselves to church because they would get to church far more often than their parents are willing to bring them. And it's not that mom doesn't play a part. Of course, she plays a part, but but here's what I'm getting at. I see a lot of moms leading. These days, spiritually, even in this church, I see a lot of moms leading. I don't see a lot of dads leading. For example, Mother's Day is one of the most highly attended Sundays of the spring. Father's Day is one of the lowest attended Sundays of the summer. What's that tell us about men? Moms prioritize church, a lot of dads don't, and we're failing our kids in the process. For example, one stat, and, and, and keep in mind these are just stats, but, but, but there are lots of stats out there about the importance of dads, and here's one. If a father doesn't go to church, even if his wife does, here's what the studies have found, only one child in 50 will become a regular church attender as an adult. Two percent chance, dad, if you don't go to church, that your kid will go to church. When, you grow, when they grow up. Now, don't give up hope if that's you and that's your situation. God is a God of miracles, not stats. I mean, God can overcome 2%. But think about this stat. If the father goes regularly to church, regardless of what the mother does, when my wife heard this, she said, I'm just going to quit doing anything at home because it seems to be all, all about dads. But when the father goes to church, regardless of whether or not the mother goes to church there is a two-thirds to three-quarters chance that their children will attend church as adults. So 2% if just mom goes. If dad goes, whether mom goes or not, a 75% chance that kids, when they grow up, will attend church. Another survey found that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there's a 3.5% probability that everyone in the household will follow. If the mother is the first to become a Christian, there's a 17% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. However, when the father is first to be a Christian at home, listen to this. There is a 93% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. Holy smokes. Dads matter. Dad's impact on kids coming to Christ is huge. I think of Deuteronomy, the classic child-raising verse. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Guys, provide, protect, pastor, take spiritual charge of your family's spiritual life. I'm all about an egalitarian marriage. If you heard my message in Colossians, you can go back and listen to it. I, I, I believe in an equal marriage. I think that is the biblical understanding, but listen to me. Your wife, I don't care how strong she is. I don't care how great of a leader she is. Your wife will not mind you stepping into leadership spiritually. Some godly leadership. She's longing for it. She's been praying for it. Well, she's too controlling. Maybe she is, but one of the reasons she's too controlling is because you're far too passive. Guys, our role in life is not just to make a lot of money and provide a comfortable life. It's not to be the world's greatest coach for our kids' teams. Our highest calling in life is to help our family become who God purposed them to be. So step into that this season. Take Alpha if you haven't already. It's a great way to grow as a leader, and grow in your relationship with Christ, it's hard to give to your kids what you yourself don't yet have. And ladies, when your husband starts doing something about Jesus in your house, and when he doesn't do it as well as you do, and when he does it poorly, really, don't one-up him. Don't do it better than him. Maybe you can. You probably can. But don't believe in him. Cheer him on. I know it's obvious, but this is what you've been praying for. Well, back to the story. To make a long uh, story short, uh, Jezebel launches a rumor campaign against Naboth, the neighbor. She invites him to a party. She plants two thugs nearby at the party. They start gossiping about him, false accusations about Naboth's relationship with God and his attitude toward the king. And before you know it, the night ends with Naboth getting stoned to death by an angry, angry mob. And that was Jezebel's plan. First Kings. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, watch this, she's still up in his business. She said, get up, you know, get up, you loser. Take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive, but dead. And what does Ahab do? Whatever his wife tells him to do. Yes, dear. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. But then notice who God holds accountable in the story. He holds Jezebel accountable, certainly, but even more so, Ahab. This is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? God's speaking to Ahab here. This is what the Lord says. In the place where your dogs licked up Naboth's blood, Bible can be so graphic, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Wow. Now we hear this and we might be thinking hold on a minute. Ahab didn't kill Naboth, Jezebel killed Naboth, doesn't matter. Because Ahab relinquished his role as spiritual leader in his family and he let Jezebel do his dirty work for him. Ahab was a deeply religious person. He was. The problem was that he worshipped the wrong gods. He was the king of Israel and yet he turned his back on the one true God of Israel and Jezebel helped him all the way. And sadly, here's how their story ends. Ahab dies in battle. He gets struck down by an arrow that slides perfectly, almost two perfectly it's really an impossible shot it slides too perfectly between his two pieces of armor just the small crevice between the two and Jezebel well she gets thrown out of a window by her servants trampled by a horse and devoured by dogs i guess it takes a lot to kill a queen <laughs> An unhappy ending for an unhappy couple. So, where's the good news in all of this? (sighs) The good news is, ladies, you don't have to be controlling. The Holy Spirit can change that in you. He can. And the good news is, guys, you don't have to be passive. Jesus can change that in you. He really can. Your marriage can look different this year than it did last year. Wives, instead of being critical, you can praise. Instead of doing his job, let him do it. Even when he doesn't, do it nearly as well as you do it. Husbands, you can lead. I want you to eliminate this sentence from your vocabulary. I never want to hear another man in this church ask this question on a Sunday. Honey, are we going to church today? That is not the question you should be asking. No, you're the one who says, husbands, come on, kids, come on, honey, let's go. To We're going to church. We're going to church. Part of what it means to follow Christ is to surrender. Jesus, I give my control over to you. Part of what it means to follow Christ is to join God in, in what he's doing. Jesus, I want you to lead me. I I want to follow. Help me lead. Help me follow you. And that's what Jesus died to give us, isn't it? He we know that. Not a controlling faith, not a passive faith, but a relating faith and a trusting faith. And that's where it all leads. God does his thing, and we do our thing with him. We join him in what he's doing, and we don't have to do it alone. And some of us feel very alone, even though we're married, but we can grow together. if you. Need to grow spiritually in your marriage, take alpha. If you need to grow financially, take financial peace. If you want to get around some more healthy couples, join our You and Me group, our marriage group that's coming up. Join a group of any kind next week where, again, you can start rubbing elbows with Christ followers. A godly woman will help a weak man become stronger. But a controlling woman will just do things herself. Godly husbands provide, protect, and pastor. They don't leave to their wives what God has given them to do. Let's pray. So Father, a lot to digest today. Help us to relinquish control and help us to relinquish passivity. Help us to bless our partners in marriage. Not point fingers to forget the past and to do the things that we can do individually. And we pray these things in Jesus name. And all God's people said, "Amen.
0: All right, thanks for watching. I want to let you know about three things that you can do. First, you can locate discussion questions for this message on our page so you can do some independent study or talk with a group to help you process. Then, follow us on Vimeo or iTunes so you don't miss a single message. Better yet, join us in person Saturdays at 5 p.m., or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Finally, if you are feeling this ministry and you want to help advance the mission of helping people become who God purposed them to be, you can click the link to give. Your generosity brings hope, healing, and radical transformation to people all over the world. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.